Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? We dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. Happy New Year to you. It's our first show of 2013. We've got some great guests lined up on the show. Ekaterina Walter, author of the new book, Think Like Zuck. Look, we're a business show, too. We like to talk about business strategies, what makes people successful in the business world. Ekaterina Walter will join us, and we'll talk about the elements of some of the Facebook founder, Mark Zuckerberg, that have made him successful and how might they apply to the business that you're in. Ethan Skolnick will also join us. He is the beat writer for the Miami Heat uh, for the Palm Beach Post, but he's the author of a new book called Raising Your Game, over 100 accomplished athletes help you guide your girls and boys through sports. He talked to some very interesting athletes, everyone from LeBron James to John Smoltz, about helping your children uh, get through the sports world early on and, and setting them up for success. I thought it was an interesting book since I have an eight-year-old daughter. We'll talk to Ethan Skolnick on the show today. And then Nick Hines. He's with the Engine Shop. They are, are an outfit that produces Super Bowl parties. They're producing ESPN Super Bowl party this year in New Orleans. He'll give us a sneak peek at that party. We'll also discuss the other hot parties at the Super Bowl coming up in New Orleans. A couple of other notes. Visit my Sports Business blog. Download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. You can become our Facebook friend or follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. Those icons are on the front page of Sports businessradio.com. Joining me now, our executive producer, Brian Griggs. Griggs, Happy New Year. How are you? Same to you. I'm doing great. Uh, it's just excited. It's a fun time of year. Super Bowl's coming. I'm pumped. Uh, it's going to be a fun in, uh, a fun uh, mashup, too, with uh, some different quarterbacks and different names other than the original names that have been in the Super Bowl the last 10 years, so I'm excited about that. Yeah, we'll talk about that in our next segment. We'll break down the Super Bowl. Who are some of the uh, potential most marketable people? Because I think there's two coaches that have a lot of marketing opportunities in this game. We'll talk about that. Well, also, I've gotten several emails and tweets in the last week or two uh, asking me to weigh in on the Manti Teo and Lance Armstrong crisis PR situation. So we'll do that coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR. We'll be right back. Hi, it's Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm not on the radio, I team with nationally known sports writer and broadcaster Rick Buecher, former Nike PR senior executive Lee Weinstein, and veteran strategic communications executive John Lashway to form media and social media training firm Everything is on the Record. 
The Everything is on the Record team provides a unique blend of strategic PR and journalism expertise to our clients. We have worked in the trenches in corporate boardrooms with CEOs and company spokespeople. We've also worked in newsrooms alongside editors and reporters. Everything is on the Record uses an innovative and unique approach to media training. Through the use of current media and social media examples tailored specifically for you, we prepare you for how best to relate to the digital media world that exists today. Whether you're meeting with a reporter, sitting at your home computer, or typing on your smartphone, you're on the record. We'll also put you through real-life scenarios where you'd be dealing with a reporter so when you see the real thing, you'll be well-prepared and comfortable. With a goal of enhancing your image, protecting your reputation, and helping you connect with the people who are most important to your brand, we will show you how to develop the skills you need to be successful in a world where everyone has a camera, a recorder, and a desire to make news. For more information on our services and to learn more about our team of communications all-stars, go online to everythingisontherecord.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. You can call us today at 503-701-2215. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. We're back. Brian Berger and executive producer Brian Griggs with you. Well, Griggs, the Super Bowl is coming up. And, you know, one of the things we talk about is who are the potential marketing stars at the end of this game? And there are some interesting candidates. Obviously, there's Ray Lewis, who is calling it quits at the end of this game. He announced before the playoffs that he'd be retiring from football. Speculation has him joining ESPN, but it doesn't mean he can't do commercials. We've seen lots of athletes in retirement do commercials. I think he's a candidate. You've got uh, Colin Kaepernick, who only has one sponsor, Nike. He's this young, exciting um, quarterback for the Niners. He's a candidate. But the most interesting candidates to me, and if I was a company and I was going to do an ad campaign around anyone participating in the Super Bowl, I'd grab the two coaches, Jim and John Harbaugh, and I would do something around them. Look at the success of Eli and Peyton Manning, the commercials they've done together. I think the Harbaugh brothers are right for marketing campaign. The question is, do they want to do it because they're a little bit more low-key and it's about their team and not so much about them? Yeah, I think, uh, I think you hit it on the head with them. I think that'd be they could do some really humorous things, I think, with the endorsements with those two because they seem like they've got personalities that they can have some fun, too. Uh, when they put the game aside, they can have some fun. So I, I think that's a good one. And also Ray Lewis, I, I see him getting picked up with ESPN or somebody like that doing some commentary or you know some of the NFL pregame stuff because he's got such a – knowledge of the game and he's he's pretty well spoken and he's also you know he's also kind of interesting you never kind of know what he's going to do so he has that side of him as well ray rice is another potential guy he's with nike as well pretty good personality uh you know there's a lot of personalities on that ravens team uh ed reed and, and people like that but um you know i don't know we'll see but i think again ray lewis colin kaepernick and the harbaugh brothers stand to be the biggest Winners, Super Bowl spots, Griggs, this year going for $3.8 million for a 30-second spot. That's a record. Those prices seem to increase every year. CBS has the game this year. Um, they're almost sold out. A company like Budweiser is spending $24 million approximately in the ad time alone. And then Griggs, the recipe with Super Bowl spots, as we discussed on past shows, is it's not just about the airtime that you're buying. You've got to produce the spots. You're spending you know, a few million dollars producing a nice spot that you're paying all this money for. Yeah, and you've seen some of these companies actually hire, like, you know, real actors and actresses that, that put a face with their company. And, yeah, the, the, the money they're spending in the production houses and all that is 
is way more probably than the 3.8 just for the time. Well, the other thing that's interesting is companies like Doritos, and Doritos has done this for a few years now. They're going to use a user-generated ad. So they've had a big campaign online, submit your best ad. Best ad will be picked for our Super Bowl ad. So they're having that contest. Um, I just hope the ads are better this year than last year. There were a handful that were good last year. There's the USA Ad Meter Award. That's always the big competition for the companies and the ad agencies producing these ads. But it amazed me last year and really the last few years that you're going to spend this amount of money on the airtime for your ad and that the ads aren't better produced and don't, they don't stick with us better than they have. Yeah, and I think uh, we saw a lot of movie trailers too last year with some new movies, which is cool, right. but also those don't take much uh, as far as you know creativity. They just pull clips from the movie. But yeah, I, ho- I hope they ramp it up this year too and – and we'll see. It's always exciting to see that, that first spot or the first one at halftime or, you know, how they have them all uh, blocked out for certain times during the game. It's, it's kind of fun to see how they lay them out. We've got Alicia Keys singing the national anthem and Beyonce performing at halftime. Uh, I'm not sad about those two choices. No, I, I'm especially Alicia Keys. She's uh, one of my favorites. So I look forward to the national anthem. Yeah, of course, there's all the controversy going on about uh, Beyonce lip syncing the national anthem at the inauguration. Look, I think when people are singing on that stage, they're mostly lip syncing. They've it's their voice. They've recorded it, but uh, I think just so it sounds at the peak of quality, they they've pre-recorded it. So I don't have a huge problem with it. Did you? No, not really. And and there's so much production in those shows too, with the dancers and the fireworks and everything else. You can see why they want to be kind of play it safe and get that track recorded so it does come across uh, solid. All right, I want to weigh in on two crisis PR situations. I was quoted in Forbes magazine. I did some TV hits. A lot of people have been asking me to weigh in on the Manti Teo crisis and the Lance Armstrong interview with Oprah, the two-part. Let's start with Lance. You know, to me, Griggs, this was too little too late. Lance Armstrong had denied, denied, denied for a decade or more. And the other thing that he did that I think separates him from the Roger Clemens of the world, the Barry Bonds, other people who have been accused of performance-enhancing drugs, is he went after people hard with lawsuits. And he collected millions of dollars from companies in lawsuits. Now, he most likely has to pay that back. But for him to sit with Oprah, first of all, I thought he was a little glib. He didn't show enough remorse for me. But if I'm his lawyers, and I'm sure his lawyers know what they're doing, but it's it's – a real risk because now you've opened yourself up to lots of payback to these people that you won millions of dollars from when you were defending yourself saying you were clean. It's another example. We've seen it with Marion Jones. We've seen it with so many people who have done wrong and then they finally confess. You know, one of the great sayings I have and that is a PR saying is the cover up is always worse than the crime. I can show you dozens of examples where if you just come clean the story's going to go away for the most part. Look at David Letterman a few years ago. He fell on the sword. He comes out during his monologue, talked about how he had an affair with someone on his staff, confessed to the whole story. The air was taken out of the story. There was nothing for the media to chase at that point, and the story went away. The only thing he wanted is, is his wife going to stay with him? But other than that, the story was done because he took the air out of the story. Lance Armstrong breathed air into the story and, quite frankly, was a fraud for a number of years. But the thing that's interesting with Lance Griggs is that he's a guy who also has done some good in the world. He's helped raise a lot of money for cancer research, and he was part of the Livestrong campaign. He gave people 
with cancer, lots of hope. I saw some of that firsthand when I was around Lance Armstrong at some events and the hope that people had when they got to meet him, the glimmer they had in their eyes. They believed in him, but as it turns out, it was all a big lie. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the key in this, is, is like you just said, is because you can't just hate him 100% because he did do so much good with the money, even though a lot of that money was raised in fraud. But still, I think uh, there's that side where you're like, wow, man, he did help a lot of kids out and a lot of families out that will always be changed because of him. People have asked me, what does Lance need to do to restore his reputation? I don't know that he can ever restore his reputation at this point. Um, it's, I'd say, 98% ruined. I think best-case scenario for Lance Armstrong moving forward is he finds a way to pay everyone back that he won money from in lawsuits. He apologizes to everyone in a personal manner, not on TV. Or you know, He needs to really make amends with the people whose lives, quite frankly, he tried to destroy when they came after him with allegations that turned out to be true. The other thing, if in a best-case scenario, if he does all of that, Excuse me. He uh, could become the face of Livestrong again and really be a champion for cancer research. The question there is the people see him as so much of a fraud that they won't support Livestrong anymore if he's tied to it. That's going to be a big question. But I think that's best case scenario for Lance Armstrong. He's not going to get endorsement deals. You're not going to see him in commercials. I think, you know, it's like finding out there's no Santa Claus for the people that believed in Lance Armstrong, it's a tough, tough blow to a lot of people. So I don't know that he recovers from that. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree with you. And, and the thing with him, too, is it's been so many years in the sport and then so many years of this dragging out that he's he's really you know uh, messed up and hurt a lot of people's lives. So it's going to be a process that's going to take probably the rest of his uh, you know life when he's up and about. Hey, you kids, I was just kidding. There's a Santa Claus. Yes. Don't, uh, don't think otherwise. And Santa Claus is a jolly old man. All right, let's talk about Manti Teo. Uh, this has been one of the more bizarre stories that I've seen in a long, long time, Griggs. I mean, you can't write this script where someone, I guess, was catfishing. And I didn't even know what that term was until this story uh, broke, what catfishing was. But it's people who impersonate other people online and get you to think that they're someone that they're really not. It's not that surprising, but I guess what is surprising is it someone like Manti Teo, who you would think has some decent advisors around him, attends a major university, Notre Dame, would have people who would go, let's dig into this a little bit more. It's a little bizarre that you've had this in-depth relationship with someone for three years. You've never met them in person. And long story short, uh, I fault Manti Teo because as he admitted to Katie Couric this week, he knew what was going on. He he fudged a little bit. He lied, if you want to be that blunt. And um, supposedly he didn't find out till December that this person who he thought was his girlfriend didn't exist. But I just – I have a hard time believing that someone is that naive. How does this relate business-wise? Every NFL team is going to investigate Manti Teo. They are going to have questions for him leading up to the draft. And if he doesn't have good answers for them – that's going to affect his draft status. If he was a top 10 pick versus being a late first round pick or even a second round pick, that's four or $5 million to Manti Teo. That's a lot of money on a rookie contract. So I'll be interested to see how he handles this. But from a crisis PR standpoint, I think this was botched from the get-go. This story, he knew about this in December. So, okay, maybe you don't want to talk about it before the national championship game. You don't want this to be the dominating headline going into that game. But after that game, 
Don't you need to come out and say, look, I've been alerted to this fact. I've been the victim of this. You get out in front of this story instead of letting Deadspin report the story. You're reacting to it. You react very slowly to it. Then you do an off-camera interview with Jeremy Schapp at ESPN. This is a trust issue. People don't trust you. They don't know if you're telling the truth, and you do an off-camera interview. Then when the story's starting to die down, Griggs, you sit down for an interview with Katie Couric on camera just when you were almost out of the news cycle, so you bring this story back to life. I thought this was botched from the get-go. Yeah, it was a weird story, too, because it's one of those ones where it's not like when you saw it, okay, you know what was going on. I, mean, I had to sit and research that for a night, like, what is this even, where is this going, and what is it talking about? Finally, I get the, the vibe of what's going on, and then, like you said, with Katie Couric, I just saw a thing today from uh, Huffington uh, Sports that says he briefly admits to lying about the fake girlfriend. So now he's you know, admitting to some of the stuff that he originally said, oh, wait, I didn't lie about this, so it's, it's kind of going in this tornado spin form. So the backstory for everyone wants to know this story, there's a publicist whose name I won't mention uh, in New York, and he's been a crisis publicist for people like Alec Baldwin and Hillary Clinton and others. Katie Couric's his client. Manti Teo is his client. That's how the two of them got together for this interview. Griggs, it was almost like Jim Gray putting together the decision with LeBron. He sold it to a network. That's how this kind of came together. Uh, I don't think the publicist did Manti Teo any favors by having him do the interview when he had him do it. If you were going to do it, you had to do it earlier on and get in front of the story. I think it was too little too late, but we'll see. You know, Have there been worst offenses committed for people who have been going into the draft? Absolutely. Will Manti Teo get drafted by someone? Yes, but the you know all the nice stories and the little halo that surrounded him during his college career at Notre Dame, I think that's gone. And I think people, especially me, you look at him in a different light now and you the trust factors is different. So marketability-wise, he may not have that same marketability. He's connected to controversy. Uh, people don't want to be connected to controversy. Yeah, I agree. And I think, uh, I think the key is going to be when that NFL draft comes up and see uh, what, what teams choose him. And, of course, the story is going to come all back up when they start talking draft again, too. So you know, he's, he's going to have a, a little road in front of him to get out of this and get into the NFL and kind of try to bury it. All right, the last thing I want to talk about is a little bit of a plug here. Uh, I have founded an event called the Sports PR Summit. I've talked about it here before on the show. The event is now on sale. It's invite only, but I know we have a lot of people who work in and around the sports world and especially in the PR circles that listen to this podcast. And if you do and you want to attend our event, it's May 22nd. It's at the MLB Fan Cave, a one-of-a-kind awesome venue in Manhattan in downtown New York. Uh, we've got some great people coming. We've got uh, Rick Buecher, Christine Brennan, John Wartime, Elsie uh, Granderson from ESPN and CNN, Rachel Bachman from the Wall Street Journal. They're making up our media roundtable. We've got one of the top publicists in Hollywood who deals with crises, PR situations all the time. He represents people like Jimmy Kimmel and Amy Poehler and Zoe Deschanel. He's going to do an entertainment case study. We're going to look at risks and rewards of social media communications. We'll do that with executives from Major League Baseball, the NCAA, the PGA. And it's most importantly going to be a coming together of people from across the sports PR landscape. So usually the leagues have meetings with themselves. The NBA meets with themselves. The NFL meets with themselves. The NCAA meets with themselves. But they don't have a chance to meet across leagues and pro and college rank. So that is what's going to happen on May 22nd, the half-day event. Uh, if you're interested, 
go to our Twitter feed, twitter.com backslash sports PR summit, twitter.com backslash sports PR summit. And then if you're interested in getting an invite to the event, we've only got a hundred spots. We're filling up, but if you want an invite, you want to be considered, drop me an email at Brian, B R I A N at sports business radio.com. Brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. All right, coming up next, Ekaterina Walter, the author of the new book, Think Like Zuck. We all want to know how to be good business people. What are the secrets of business success? We'll talk to Ekaterina Walter, author of the new book, Think Like Zuck. Also on the show, as we mentioned earlier, Ethan Skolnick, who covers the Miami Heat for the Palm Beach Post. He's also got a new book out called Raising Your Game. And then Nick Hines will go behind the scenes of Super Bowl parties with him. He's with the Engine Shop. That's all coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter, twitter.com slash SBRadio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bowl Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Today's guest is Ekaterina Walter. Ekaterina is a social innovator at Intel, where over the past four years, she led company-wide social media adoption and spearheaded a number of innovative social business initiatives. A recognized business and marketing thought leader, she's a speaker and a regular contributor to Mashable, Fast Company, Huffington Post, and other leading-edge print and online publications. Ekaterina has been featured in Forbes and Business Review USA. She was named among 25 women who rock social media in 2012. She's also the author of the upcoming book, Think Like Zuck, The Five Business Secrets of Facebook's Improbably Brilliant CEO, Mark Zuckerberg. Ekaterina, thanks so much for joining us on Sports Business Radio. How are you? Doing good. Thank you so much, Brian. Glad to be here. So let's start off by talking about why Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook was the focus of your book. What impressed you about what he's done and his business philosophies? Well, you know, we keep talking about um, sort of how Facebook started, successes and failures. I think sometimes we tend to overlook some of the critical philosophies of successful leaders, um, and we hone in on things like age or an experience. What impresses me about um, Mark is 
couple of things. One is his passion. I mean, he's literally very passionate about connecting the world. And he, you know, he drives that passion of helping people connect. And he, everything he does and all his decisions are driven by that per passion, right? He, he's in it to make money. And we've seen it time and time again throughout the last couple of years when he focused on product and really helping people um, talk um, and connect with their friends across the world versus actually making money sometimes to Facebook's peril. You know, so, so that sort of a drive of making sure that you have a goal and um, sticking to that goal no matter what because you're really passionate about it is one. And second, you know, how many leaders do you really see who stick to their guns, right? A lot of them become swayed by either Wall Street or stakeholders or um, just their peers, right, where Mark knows where he's going and he continues to drive to that no matter no matter what. Um, and that is connecting people, helping people uh, talk to each other and really making the world more open and transparent and better place. And, uh, you know, no matter the pressures around him, just like, you know, um, Jeff Bezos, uh, Steve Jobs and other leaders who really succeeded, he has that long-term vision inside and he follows that and he follows his his gut. You know, it's interesting, the people you just mentioned, uh, they all have this renegade aspect to them. Guys that, like you said, they, they go their own way, not necessarily there to please stakeholders, but they have a vision and they stick with the vision. In your book, you talk about the five P's, passion, purpose, people, product, and partnerships. That's success in business. We have a lot of business people who listen to this show. Maybe you can uh, enhance that a little bit for us. Absolutely. Um, I think um, I think any anybody who does what they love or created a company based on on their passions and what they're interested in will tell you that that in itself that sort of motivation drives your success. If you're not passionate what you're doing or about people who you're doing that for, really there there isn't much there. You know, no perseverance to stick through it, no clear understanding of what your goal is, and then passion fuels purpose because if you're passionate about something you really are very clear about your purpose you know in, in Mark's case it was uh, to connect the world and make the world more transparent he knows what that is and so he builds everything strategies and the products around that and so he that's why his product is so clearly focused on particular things and characteristics and principles so Ekaterina in the people chapter you talk about the 10 characteristics of leaders that comprise what you call the hummingbird effect of leadership. Why hummingbird? Um, you know, Brian, I always loved hummingbirds. And I started looking, when I was writing a chapter, I started looking at different characteristics and outlining, you know, what, who are the leaders I worked with, who are the ones I've learned from, you know, examples in the book like Mark Zuckerberg. And what kind of shaped up is, is this hummingbird image in my, in my mind. And here's the reason why. Um, first of all, hummingbirds are very small birds. Some of the species are the smallest in the world. And so um, what I noticed about the great leaders are is their humility, that 
they're humble and they they they, they don't exactly want to stay in the spotlight all the time they just want to keep head down and and drive to their vision and so um and some of the people who are leaders they might not even be managers or ceos or mark zuckerbergs right they're, they're people who actually um engage and, and execute and help grow leaders around them but but they are they have more of a matrix to influence where they work with all the stakeholders and, and really make change happen versus you know driving a big company or a team so anyone can be a leader and so there's multiple um things they talk about is um and draw parallels with kind of hummingbird characteristics for example flexibility you know hummingbird can fly in any direction um and and so that's true leader he has to have a good sense of adaptability um it's uh, it, it really maneuvers in the air real well and it's i think the only bird that flies backwards and so the great leaders look around themselves they're able to look forward but also look backwards every now and then when when they need to to learn from so sort of from the past and then they look to the side where their competitors are and see make sure they keep an eye on them not follow and obsess about them but really just kind of adjust and and learn from even maybe their competitors mistakes as they go um there's other characteristics like uh, character i think that leader's character is, is is very important and hummingbird um has a heart that's that take up i think 30% of of its body mass it's it's pretty big and so um leaders are always the ones great leaders are the ones who serve others first and foremost um you know and just like hummingbird great the great leaders have a big heart and a lot of integrity a lot of authenticity and credibility um you know there's other points like perseverance and persistence um that little tiny tiny bird um can actually fly thousands of miles nonstop um to to the you know when they migrate and and so can the leader but if necessary hummingbird can hover in the air for a long long time meaning great leader can look at it strategically and say you know what maybe huge growth of the company is not the right um time for us and just slow it down where necessary to have their product right to have their you know to build right teams and then and then and then then go fast after that so all this all this ability and all this characteristic and strategic thinking and fearlessness intuition and um and result orientation plus personal development i think all of those are really um encompassed in in great leaders and mark zuckerberg definitely is one of the examples yeah it's interesting because if you look at mark zuckerberg if you look at steve jobs of apple if you look at phil knight at nike even in the sports world if you look at someone like mark cuban who owns the dallas mavericks they've all kind of gone against popular belief and really pursued their own beliefs and stuck to what they thought would be successful and at the end of the day they've all been very successful well, you know, interesting point. So, so Jeff Be- uh, Jeff Bezos is actually another example of Amazon. When he launched, he's a very long long um, long term strategic thinker. And when he launched reviews on his site, people looked at him and said, "Are you crazy? Do you even know your own business? What, what are you doing?" And he had this really clear vision of where he wants to go. Mark Zuckerberg, when he expanded beyond colleges, people thought he was crazy. When he introduced newsfeed, people thought he was crazy. When he expanded it to become a platform, people thought, "Are you kidding me? You're you, you're just gonna you're just gonna bring us all down to our knees." And and it, it really all those changes were critical in making Facebook fly right as a business and and helping it uh, progress and succeed. And so so one of the characteristics we're missing especially I think Wall Street is missing a lot of times in looking for short 
term gain is is that sort of a leadership leader's ability to have a clear version, have a purpose that's long term and stick into it, having courage to stick to it. I mean, can you imagine a 20 year old boy who suddenly saw this success actually has the ability to to say no to all these pressures outside because he has a clear passion and he knows where he wants to take his business. He wants to make the world more connected, transparent, and, you know, say no to a billion-dollar offer to buy Facebook. I mean, that has that, that you got to have some guts. You have to have vision. You have to really be sure and confident in where you're going. And so I think that's admirable. Just a few minutes left with E. Katerina Walter. She is the author of the upcoming book, Think Like Zuck. We'll tell you how you can get it in a moment. But before I let you go, uh, what do you think the future of social media is? You're on the cutting edge of social media. As a PR person, when I'm not hosting this show, I always say if you're not involved in social media with Twitter and Facebook and promoting your event, your company, whatever you're doing, you're, you're really missing out. What do you see as the future of social media? Um, you know, a lot of a lot of folks are still afraid to engage, and I say the 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 risk of not engaging is way bigger than the risk of engaging. And the way I see it is, I think social media as a term will not probably exist pretty soon. Why? Because it has to be integrated and woven into everything the company does, from product development to marketing to um, to research, uh, everything. And and so what I see happening is social will be not thought about as a stepchild, which sometimes it still is, but every single time somebody, a business unit or or um, a, a corporate directive or strategy is being laid out, every time they're looking at strategy, they're considering social as part of that. And it's a norm. It's natural. So that widespread adoption within the business, I think, is definitely a next natural step. It's definitely not going away anywhere. And we're going to continue to evolve and learn about it. But it needs to be to be effective and truly, truly um, work well. It needs to be integrated from the start and thought of as a part of a bigger strategy in anything you do. All right, E. Katerina Walter, the author of the book Think Like Zuck. You can follow her on Twitter at E. Katerina. E. Katerina, how can people get their hands on your book? Um, it's available on all the major retailers. Um, you can pre-order it now, or you can go to my site, thinklikezuck.com, and, and order it there. And uh, if you, if anybody wants to connect with me, my uh, website is ekatrinawalter.com. Book is also featured there, and I'm also very active on Twitter at ekatrina. Thank you so much. Happy New Year to you, and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Best of success with your book. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports 
in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm joined by Ethan Skolnick. He covers the Miami Heat for the Palm Beach Post. But he's also the co-author of a new book called Raising Your Game, Over 100 Accomplished Athletes. Hope you guide your girls and boys through sports. I have an 8-year-old daughter, so I was particularly interested in the topic matter of this book. Ethan, how are you? Good, Good to be with you, Brian. Very well. So give me the idea behind this book. You could write a book on a number of different topics. Uh, why this topic? Well, you know, over the past uh, few years, I mean, first thing, I played sports myself growing up, as most uh, <laughs> most adults have at one point or another in their lives, played baseball and tennis and, and soccer. And I was actually uh, teaching down at uh, a local university in Miami, and there I ran into a child psychologist who was teaching a, a sports related class there and we kind of got together and and she had had an idea for a long time to write a book and I had access to athletes so um, what we basically decided was there were a lot of books out there written about this topic about youth sports you can go to the bookstore you can find any number of them but what we found was there weren't many of them if any of them written from the perspective of athletes who'd actually gone through it um, you, you know, you had a lot of sort of theoretical stuff and, and you know, and, and psychological stuff and, and stuff from maybe coaches in the youth sports arena. But what we thought was, and, and the more I thought about how I could get access to a lot of the athletes through the course of my usual work, was let's talk to them about what worked for them, what didn't work for them, and, and then kind of extrapolated, and a lot of them have children of their own, and what are they trying to do with their own kids? Uh, what methods work? Uh, why are they putting their kids in sports in the first place? And then what are they trying to get out of it? And then as they go through it, you know, is positive reinforcement better? Is sometimes is it necessary to, to sort of make a point with a child? Uh, how do you handle a child who uh, may be different from other kids on his team? How do you handle coaches who, 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 who scream a lot? You know, we kind of got into all these different subjects. And as I started talking to the athletes, I realized, you know, we had pretty rich experience here that we could draw upon, and, and that's kind of the process of writing this book over the past couple of years. Now, who are some of the athletes you spoke with for your book? Well, it's a really wide range, but there's some fairly prominent names. I mean, one of the advantages of covering the Miami Heat is that I'm around LeBron James and Dwayne Wade every day. So naturally, uh, those were going to be a couple of the guys that I would talk to, especially because uh, they have kids themselves, you know, both school-age kids. Um, and they had sort of, you know, in, in different ways, challenged upbringings, and yet they turned to sports uh, as a means of escape. Both of them did. And so uh, I spoke to a number of Heat players, uh, you know, Dwayne, LeBron, Mike Miller, uh, Shane Battier provided really useful um, material for the book, uh, a lot of other NBA players uh, when they would come into town. And then uh, since I've covered the NFL for a number of years also, spoke to a lot of former and current NFL players. The thing about the NFL, as you know, is that current NFL players become former NFL players very quickly because the career span is so right. short. So it's funny when I'm looking over the list of names in the book, all of our NBA players, for the most part, are still current. A lot of our NFL players have actually retired in the past couple of years because I, I spoke to them kind of while they were still playing. But we got a pretty wide range of them too. For everyone from a Joe Namath um, back in 
the way things were in his day to the way they've changed, um, you know, all the way to, you know, a little more contemporary, like uh, Chad Pennington provided really useful stuff, Kurt Warner, uh, you know, and, and, you know, guys who've retired, you know, fairly uh, recently, like a Jason Taylor, who provided a lot of material. Um, and so what I would do was I would do these interviews, you know, some, some of them would be a half hour, some would be five minutes, but we'd just be trying to get perspectives and we spoke to a lot of baseball players as well. Uh, for some reason, there's a bunch of former Braves, like a Smoltz and a Glavin, uh, current Brave and Tim Hudson, uh, Chipper Jones, who just became a former Brave. But guys who would be good talkers, thoughtful uh, on the subject. Um, and, uh, and the other thing we decided to do, Brian, was we're going through it. And obviously, I you know, cover professional men's sports. I mean, that's what I've done for, for 16, 17 years. So you know, I started to realize as we started to go through this, you know what, this book needs to be for girls and women too. And it needs to be for mothers and it needs to be, uh, you know, for some of the, the sports that, that girls get into. And so we started to sort of selectively choose uh, a female athletes who'd been, you know, very accomplished in their own way from a Julie Foudy or a Brandy Chastain in soccer to a Gabby Reese in volleyball uh, to a Sonia Richards-Ross in track to a Cheryl Miller in basketball. So we selectively chose um, – a lot of athletes who were still involved with kids, uh, have their own foundations, work with kids, know a lot about this, like a, a Shannon Miller, who's done quite a bit of work with uh, trying to uh, with child obesity and since her days as a, as a gold medal gymnast. So um, kind of ran the gamut. So it's, it's all over the place. So our hope is that there's something in there for everybody. Ethan Skolnick, author of the new book, Raising Your Game, over 100 accomplished athletes help you guide your girls and boys through sports. He also covers the Miami Heat, and the Miami Dolphins for the Palm Beach Post. Uh, Ethan, when parents are helping their kids today decide whether or not to play sports, and I know there's a variety of different sports, we can get into that in a minute, but what are the things you should be considering, and how has it changed? You mentioned Joe Namath talked about how it changed from when he was playing to what it is today. What are some of the biggest changes we've seen for uh, youth athletics over the last 20 years, 30 years? Well, it's interesting. There, there's a couple of societal changes that have really affected this. And when we spoke, we tried to speak to people, to athletes, as, as you mentioned, throughout kind of the different generations. And we spoke to a lot of the older athletes. They would kind of lament about how it used to be that you would, you know, kids would go out and just play unorganized sports in the park. You know, they would find a park. You'd see them uh, running, you know, picking sides, doing that kind of thing. But, you know, over the years, you know, that's become a little bit more dangerous. There's become less centralized places for kids to play. Um, and what's kind of happened is that the organized sports has kind of taken over a little bit because it's had to. Because, and then also a lot of schools around the country, because of their own budget constraints, have had to cut back on whether it's recess time or, or some of the, the various sports that they might have had previously. So a lot of the athletes sort of lamented that change, and they talked about, well, that's what has made organized sports even more important. And once you get into organized sports, there's so many different approaches. And What's interesting is, you know, what we're not saying in this book there's one way to do things. Um, and that's the reason we talk to so many athletes. You know, the athletes were almost unanimous in one thought in the book. And it was interesting. This wasn't what we expected. They all hate specialization. Hate it. It's, mm. it's amazing. They would, they would bring this up with me before I would even ask the question. And it would get to the point where, as we were going through the course of the book, you know, I would want to get to that question, but I would never even get to it because they would just they would bring it up. And, you know, they, they don't like it for a number of reasons. They think, first thing, that uh, the kids are making choices too early before they're really ready to make choices, that sometimes the parents are forcing those choices on the child. 
Um, and, you know, Raul Abanez, who's just uh, obviously uh, you guys know out in the Pacific Northwest and obviously was just with the Yankees. Uh, you know, when he was playing baseball in Miami growing up, you know, he quit because he was just he was playing year round. They were pushing him to play constantly. And, you know, after a little while, he just got tired of it. He took two years off from it. And what happens is, you know, one of the things we're focusing on the book is that a lot of kids quit and then they don't come back to it. And I, I think that was the one thing we got from most of the athletes was that they don't like the specialization. They think it's damaging not only psychologically, but can be physically. Um, obviously, a lot of the former pitchers we talked to, the John Smoltz's of the world, you know, they don't like the burden that's being put on young arms when they're pitching, you know, year-round. Um, so uh, that was one thing. The other thing that we, we took really out of the book, and, and a little bit of how this it focuses into how it's changed a little bit, but um, the, the, the other thing we got from athletes almost uniformly was, obviously, these athletes we spoke to are all accomplished. That was the whole idea. So you would assume that most of them had been pushed to play, or some parents might assume that. And that's not really the case, actually. The majority of them kind of found it on their own. Uh, Derek Brooks, who's going to end up probably in the Hall of Fame, Pro Football Hall of Fame, played for the Bucks for years. Uh, yeah, he talked about he, his first football practice. He came home. He had a very strict stepfather. He expected his stepfather was going to uh, – he, he went to first football practice. He didn't like it. Uh, he came home. He said he wanted to quit. And we don't espouse quitting in the book, but we talk about the reasons why it may be appropriate in a particular sport or particular program. And his stepfather didn't push him to play. He let him make the decision on his own. His, his, his uh, friends basically got him to come out again for baseball. Eventually that led back to football, and he made the decision on his own. So those, if you want to talk about, there's so many messages throughout the book that we got from the athletes, but the two primary things we got are kind of leave it up to the child to make his or her own decision about what he wants to play or what she wants to play. And then once the child gets to a certain point, uh, in terms of his or her development, don't force the child to play one sport. That is better for the overall development of the child to be exposed to as much as possible. And the idea of, of travel leagues and all the rest of that stuff, a lot of athletes really object to that. Yeah, the thing that really uh, upsets me when I watch youth sports today, and again, I have an eight-year-old daughter who plays soccer and she does ballet and tap and, and things like that, but the parents who push the kids to a certain sport and then the parents who go to these games and it's like game seven of the NBA finals and they're yelling at the referees and they're yelling at the umpire and they're trying to relive their own childhood through their own child. And it's just way over the top in my opinion. No, you're absolutely right. And that's basically the whole third section of the book is why limits matter. We start off the book with why sports matter. We get into resilience and commitment all the things you get out of sports. Then we get into why you matter, and we focus on the relationships that the athletes had that sort of got them through the youth sports experience. Some of the athletes didn't have traditional family structures. In fact, a lot of the athletes didn't have traditional sort of two-parent structures. They would rely on one parent or a grandparent or, uh, uh, you know, a mentor. And, and, you know, or in LeBron James' case, I mean, he had a couple of different mentors who helped him because he, he didn't have a male, a male figure in his life. And, so we, we focus on that. And then in the third section, we're focused on exactly what you're talking about, which is why limits matter. And, you know, one of my favorite quotes in the book is, you know, Jason Taylor, who played for the Dolphins for many years and had, had a, you know, if not a Hall of Fame career, pretty close to it. Uh, you know, Jason is coaching uh, flag football in Western Florida right now. And he's, he talks in the book about how he's had to pull his kids off the field because the other coaches on the other sideline are acting like they're Rex Ryan and Bill Belichick. <laughs> Unbelievable. And, 
and, and, and just unbelievable stuff. And, you know, his quote was, you know, shut up and clap. Okay. That that's, you know, that, that was basically his advice to parents is, you know, come go to the game, be supportive, uh, listen to your child, uh, recognize that not all children are the same. We got that from a lot of the, the athletes who are parents. Now they're talking about how they have two kids and they've learned, you know, as parents, we have to, you know, uh, you know, Johnny can handle some, a little bit of criticism and screaming and Jimmy can't. And I have to understand, you know, what's the line with each of them. And, you know, but they've talked about the parents and we've had some stories. I, I talked to David Wells, obviously longtime major league pitcher. He's been uh, wor- working as a pitching coach at his old high school. So a little bit older kids, but he basically had to send an email to all the parents telling them to get off the coach's back. Okay. Cause they were complaining about, you know, why, why this guy, was why this, kid wasn't getting this many innings and all the rest of this stuff. And, and he basically said, if you've got anything, come to me. Okay. Um, and so we've just gotten uh, a lot of that from different. It, what's been really interesting is to see uh, the athletes who are now coaching or now parenting and they're watching this youth sports thing and they're seeing these parents. A lot of the athletes made fun of it. They talk about these parents who are telling the kids what to do. And here are actual athletes. You know, professional athletes, accomplished athletes, a lot of the athletes we spoke to are, like I said, either Hall of Famers or borderline Hall of Famers. And they're just laughing at this stuff. Like, they're not even telling them what to do right. <laughs> they're just screaming stuff at the kid. How is a kid who's, say, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old going to process, you know, what's coming if, he's, if, the kid, if the child is getting one message from his parent and another message from the coach and another message from the kids he's playing with on the field, how is that child going to process what he or she can do? And, and how can you not expect the child to get confused and frustrated and, and ultimately decide, you know what, this sport's not really for me. So we got a lot of that material from the athletes. And I mean, some of the athletes were really blunt. I mean, Brett Hall we spoke to, and he's, he's had some kids go through hockey, uh, you know, obviously. And, and he basically said what the parents need to basically do is just go away. He's like, <laughs> He, he's just he's just had enough of it, and we're, we're not encouraging that, Brian. We're, we're not, you know, we're, we're saying it's important to show up, it's important to show interest, uh, it's important to act like you, you know you care about the child's activity, and, and to really get involved and, and find out what he or she likes and doesn't like. But it's also important to show restraint, and I think that's the thing that a lot of these parents have really tripped over. You know, another thing I observe, which is the other end of the spectrum from the ultra competitiveness is, and again, my daughter's young, she's just starting to play sports, is, okay, everybody gets a trophy, everybody uh, scores a goal, everybody plays the same amount of time, we're not going to keep scoring this game, so it's more about having fun than it is about having any hint of competition. And to me, you know, you want the children to have fun, especially when they're young, because if they don't have fun, they're not going to want to play anymore. But right. there's also competition in life and whatever we do and to have no hint of it and everyone getting a trophy. I know some parents I've spoken with, they're not keen on that approach either. No. And it's funny you mentioned that because remember I said earlier that there are some places in the book where the athletes don't agree. That's the spot. Um, you know, I, like I said, there's a lot of uh, common thought of, around specialization, around why you get into sports. The competition issue is tricky, and that's a question we asked a lot of the different athletes. And I actually went to, of all people, I went to Herm Edwards on this mm. um, as one of the people because he obviously had the quote, you play to win the game, right? That was right. the famous quote yep. of Jets coach. And I said, I said, where is the point where you play to win the game? And he said, he actually acknowledged, he said, I think it's in high school. He says, I think before that, 
uh, it's gotten a little bit too competitive. And when you have that uh, kind of thought coming from him, it makes you think about it. But I will say that a lot of the athletes, Zach Thomas was one, um, former Dolphins linebacker I spoke to, who, who really doesn't like the everybody gets a trophy thing. Um, he's like, life is hard. Life is competitive. You don't win at everything that you do. Uh, you have to learn that early. It's important to learn that early. And I, so I really think that's the one we're in. We have a whole chapter about this. We call it the best possible position. And that's really what we're asking the coaches to put the kids in. You, you, put the, you put the kids in the best possible position to succeed, and then you have to figure out what the rewards should be or shouldn't be. Um, I will say the one anecdote we used was from LeBron James. And it's interesting because LeBron used the same anecdote when he won the MVP this year. Um, during his speech, he talked about how when he was nine years old, you know, he was clearly the best player on his team, but the coach gave everybody MVP trophies. And he felt that that taught him something, that you, you know, as good as you are, these teammates are as important as you are to our success. And he took that with him for the rest of his career. So I, I think there are some situations that we found that it does make some sense uh, to include the other kids to make them feel that their contribution is important but they're also i agree with you there also is a line uh where sometimes you're not if you're not getting kids to be competitive in any way once they get to a certain age then they may not be getting out of it everything that they could be getting out of it so i definitely think that there's a fine line there just a few minutes left with ethan skolnick co-author of the book raising your game over 100 accomplished athletes help you guide your girls and boys through sports a big issue today with youth sports is safety. There's the concussion mm-hmm. discussion. I've seen a number of athletes asked if they would let their boys play football like they do because of the head injuries that we're seeing from Pop Warner all the way up. Was that discussed in the book? Because, again, as a parent, even someone who has an eight-year-old who plays soccer, you know, I'm reading articles and have talked to specialists about yeah. it. When you head the ball, you can get a minor concussion these are concerns that i don't remember having when i was growing up playing sports but for parents like myself now those are legitimate concerns absolutely and i will say that we probably went lightest on that of everything we did touch on it obviously you can't ignore it completely i mean there's clearly a different culture that's been created in that way and we do focus you know in part on some of the some of the abuse type things that lead to injuries like i was mentioning earlier sort of the the travel teams and the pitching the kids too much right. and, and the arm trouble that can develop from that. And, and we make some recommendations there. You know, football obviously has its own set of issues, you know, when you're dealing with concussions. And like I said, Kurt Warner was one of the people we spoke to for the book, and he actually famously said a, a few months ago about how he wouldn't have his own kids play football. That was actually after we had spoken to him uh, for, for our interviews. But, no, clearly it's not something that you can ignore. In the same way that there are other issues, you know, involved with youth sports that, that you know, are a little darker that you can't ignore. You know, the idea of who's coaching your kid. Do you really know, you know, in, in this day and age, you've got to be careful. We obviously, with everything that's happened, uh, you know, up at Penn State and other places. Uh, but we, we try to focus a little bit more in the book on sort of more of the developmental type aspects of sports. Um, and the reasons why it is important to expose your child to them and at least have the child figure out on his or her own if he wants to do it. Um, you know, you take a look again. We talk about resilience. We talk about commitment. We talk about uh, not, not just, com- you know, commitment to yourself but also to your team. Um, you know, a lot of the athletes spoke about, you know, how with their own kids, you know, they told their kids, 
yeah, if you don't like it, you can quit, but, but you made a commitment to your team for this season. You're going to finish the season out. Um, you know, so uh, we focus on a lot of those elements. And, and the, really the biggest thing we focus on as a positive of sports is actually one that you think would be a little counterintuitive, which is failure. Um, we, we, got, we did a couple of chapters talking to athletes about the biggest failures that they had as kids. And, and it's interesting because they all remember them uh, like it was yesterday. You know, um, and, and who helped them get through it? Who helped them move uh, to kind of the next stage where they decided, okay, this can make me stronger instead of tearing me down? Uh, you know, one person we spoke to, Chipper Jones, remembered vividly, you know, being nine years old and the bat on his shoulder, you know, as they lost a, a uh, you know, sort of a championship game. And so I'm watching Chipper Jones play, you know, in that uh, last game of his career, and he had a, well, he had a one-two count. Uh, earlier this year, this year and, and thinking, okay, is he going to leave the bat on his shoulder? And at least he put the ball in play and beat out a single. So uh, th- we, we got a lot of sort of the emotional components of that. We focused a little bit less on the elements of uh, some of the safety concerns, although obviously the athletes do touch on them, and obviously it's something the parents need to keep in mind. Now, this is a must-read book for anyone out there who has children and anyone who has children playing sports. How can people get their hands on the book? Well, there, there's a number of different ways, and we really appreciate it, Brian. Um, you know, first, first place is we are selling it directly on iUniverse.com, but uh, you can also get it from your, your favorite retailer online. Uh, Barnes & Noble uh, has it. Amazon has it. Um, and there are a couple of books with similar titles. If you just look for the one with uh, – there's a, like, a, like a coach slash uh, parent parental figure with his hand, hand on the back of a, 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 a young pitcher as he's leaving the field, just giving him a little bit of comfort. Uh, after a game. If you look for that, uh, you will find it. But uh, you can find it in any of those places. And also on our website, uh, raisingyourgamebook.com. Uh, we're, we're doing a blog on there, and we're actually uh, going to enlist some of the athletes we spoke to to kind of uh, post additional blogs, and, and we're going to answer questions. And uh, that's something we're just kind of launching this week. So uh, raisingyourgamebook.com is another place that you can find it. No, it's fantastic. Uh, before I let you go, you do cover the defending NBA champion Miami Heat. How tough is it to defend the title? How are they doing this year? You watch them day in and day out. Yeah, it's been a little bit difficult. I mean, I, they are not playing at a consistent level, particularly defensively, Brian, that they have uh, over the past couple of years. You know, I think they went a different way with their style. They decided to add Ray Allen. They kind of doubled down on the small ball thing. It mm-hmm. hurt them on the rebounding end. Uh, Rashard Lewis was in the rotation early. He's not now. They're still tinkering. You know, as we speak here, you know, they're supposed to work out Chris Anderson, take a look at him as an extra big possibly off the bench because they found themselves a little bit thin there. Uh, but, you know, motivation has been a problem. And they, they've been pretty honest about that, um, you know, when you get them on a private moment. <laughs> it's, it's tough when you win a championship. I mean, unless you're shooting for something like, you know, the Bulls record, and it was pretty clear early that wasn't going to happen and it wasn't really a, a huge goal of theirs, uh, you know, you're going to struggle when you're playing, you know, a, a Detroit, Milwaukee, Orlando three and four nights on the road. You know, you, they're, they're, you, they, they've kind of developed an attitude, Brian, that, you know, we wait for the last five minutes and then we sort of sort it out and LeBron will save us. And, uh, you know, you look at the OKC game, they got up for that game. You see the level that they can play at when they're really focused, the game on Christmas. And then you can see them give up 41 points in a quarter to Detroit, 36 to the Pistons bench. 
there are just times they just don't focus in defensively. And the way that they play defense, which is that they pack the paint and kind of scramble out to the shooters, you have to be engaged. If you're not engaged, there are going to be openings. And then what ends up happening is open three. If it's not an open three, it's a backside offensive putback. Uh, those are things, obviously, they're going to have to clean up as the season progresses. Do you think they can uh, get to the finals again and repeat? Can they flip that switch once playoff time comes? Well, I think they can get to the finals. I mean, I've been saying all along that really, and I know that some New Yorkers won't be thrilled with this opinion, but uh, I've been saying the only team I think in the East that can really push them is Chicago, provided that Rose was somewhere close to himself when he comes back. Because I just think that if you look at the pieces there, the way that that team rebounds is relentless as it is, Thibodeau's kind of figuring out a bench still. It's not where it was last year or the last couple of years before they made some changes. But I, I, his coaching style gives them some problems. Uh, they kind of load up everything, and, and the Heat has to be very patient against them, and sometimes Miami loses some patience. Uh, to me, Chicago's the one team that if Rose was right, until we see him on the court, it's hard to say. I don't see the Knicks, honestly, as a serious threat, even though they've beaten them by 20 twice. Uh, I just don't think that whole shooting threes the whole year is, is going to work. Um, I think Miami will shut that down. You know, the finals would be a totally different story. I picked Miami over OKC again. I know it's not original, uh, but I, I could see them getting a challenge from a couple teams out west. I'll say this. They don't match up very well with the Clippers or the Grizzlies. Um, the, the Clippers have now beaten them, I think, it's three of the last four times. Memphis, I think, the same. Uh, you know, Memphis is a big team that gives them problems. I don't know that the Grizzlies would get to the finals, but if they ever did, that would be a problem for the Heat. And the Clippers, you know, it's funny. You talk about athleticism with the Heat, but the Clippers' athleticism gives them a lot of problems. They have trouble keeping Paul and Bledsoe from getting into the paint. Uh, so I'm not guaranteeing a Heat repeat by any means, but I do think they're going to get back to the finals. All right, that's Ethan Skolnick. Go online to RaisingYourGameBook.com to get his new book, Raising Your Game. Over 100 accomplished athletes help you guide your girls and boys through sports. Ethan, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Best of luck with the book, and uh, let's stay in touch. No, definitely. No, thank you, Brian. And I'll be out uh, that way in a couple of days to see the Blazers and Lillard up close. Hey, one last thing. How can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, Ethan J. Skolman. At Ethan J. Skolman. Very simple. Excellent. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks again, Brian. Thank you. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. Hi, it's Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm not on the radio, I team with nationally known sports writer and broadcaster Rick Buecher former Nike PR senior executive Lee Weinstein, and veteran strategic communications executive John Lashway to form media and social media training firm Everything is on the Record. The Everything is on the Record team provides a unique blend of strategic PR and journalism expertise to our clients. We have worked in the trenches in corporate boardrooms with CEOs and company spokespeople. We've also worked in newsrooms alongside editors and reporters. Everything is on the Record uses an innovative and unique approach to media training. Through the use of current media and social media examples tailored specifically for you, we prepare you for how best to relate to the digital media world that exists today. Whether you're meeting with a reporter, sitting at your home computer, or typing on your smartphone, you're on the record. 
We'll also put you through real-life scenarios where you'd be dealing with a reporter so when you see the real thing, you'll be well-prepared and comfortable. With the goal of enhancing your image, protecting your reputation, and helping you connect with the people who are most important to your brand, we will show you how to develop the skills you need to be successful in a world where everyone has a camera, a recorder, and a desire to make news. For more information on our services and to learn more about our team of communications all-stars, go online to everythingisontherecord.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. You can call us today at 503-701-2215. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Well, Super Bowl is coming up very soon, and joining me on the line right now is Nick Hines, who's the Executive Vice President for Engine Shop. Nick, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Brian? I'm doing really well. So uh, tell us about Engine Shop, and I know that you have a big part in some of the parties taking place at the Super Bowl. Uh, tell us about that as well. Absolutely. Uh, Engine Shop is an ex- experiential sports marketing agency. Uh, we have offices in New York City and Miami. Um, we specialize in large special events. Um, Super Bowl has been Somewhat of a specialty for our agency, um, quite a few people with extended experience producing large-scale events. Uh, for example, ESPN the Magazine's Friday Night Super Bowl event, um, we helped them create uh, and start that event nine years ago and been working on it ever since. So how has that event grown over the nine years and what types of people uh, attend that event? Who are some of the big-name celebrities that have attended in the last nine years? Um, you know, you get a like a wide cast of characters, a lot of uh, you know, actors, a, lot, a ton of uh, NFL athletes. Um, a lot of fun last year for example in Indianapolis um with people like Jerry Jones, who's the owner of the Cowboys, and uh, Shaquille O'Neal who were hanging out, um which was a lot of fun. Uh, Drake was the performer last year. The year before that in Fort Worth, um folks like uh Kid Rock who did a fantastic performance and um Rev Run um who was DJing supporting that event. So always a really fun cast of characters who come out for that party. Who do you have ta- on tap uh, for your party in New Orleans this year? This year we've got CeeLo Green uh featuring his band Goody Mob along with uh, DJ D Nice. Um and again that party's on Friday night and it's expected to be a fantastic party. Um and you know there's quite a few other events that take place throughout the weekend which we're really excited about as well. Now, how do you get invited to one of these parties? As far as you're concerned, who does the outreach? How do you determine, all right, who's who, here's who we want to target and here's who doesn't get in? Typically, you know, for parties like ESPN and Rolling Stone magazine parties and GQ magazine parties, they're private and by invitation only. And they're they're really set aside for their advertisers and a lot of the folks who come along with their their average, uh, you know, these these groups in their their agencies. So it's celebrities, it's athletes, it's a lot of people spending money who are buying pages in the magazine. Um, so it's really, you know, a lot of these are tough tickets to get, and you can't necessarily access them. Now there are other parties out there that, you know, if you are a fan and you're in town, you can get into them. You know, Bud Light, for example, um, they're coming back this year with their Bud Light Hotel. Um, they're taking over the the Wyndham in the French Quarter. And they'll have a series of events starting on Thursday night all the way through the weekend. And they are doing ticket giveaways you know, through Facebook. You can access um, and sign up to, to win tickets. Um, in addition to other parties like you know, Verizon, for example, um, they're, they're doing a, a fantastic event this year. It's a Hurricane Sandy benefit at the House of Blues, um, hosted by Drew Brees, and featuring a performance with Nelly and Swizz Beats. 
Um, that is a ticket you can actually purchase. Uh, if you go online, you can buy that. Um, I think it will be a, a lot of fun and certainly something worth checking out if you're in town. Approximate number. If you're CeeLo, if you're Kid Rock, if you're Nelly, what are you getting paid to perform at a party like this at the Super Bowl? You know, <clears throat> they they don't typically disclose. A lot of those numbers are really clo- um, held close to people's chests. Um really is between the booking folks um, at these publications or at these organizations and their managers. Um, that information really gets out, um, and if it is out there, it's, it's between a couple of people. Um, you know, if I were to guess, um, they're they're well into the you know the six figure ranges, um, up into you know seven figures to to perform at some of these events. Nick Hines, executive vice president of the Engine Shop, is joining us here on Sports Business Radio. So, Nick, some of these events are ticketed, others are by invite only. If someone goes to a ticketed event, what do tickets run to some of these Super Bowl parties? You know, if you want online right now, you could probably purchase tickets for like the Maxim party or the Playboy party or Verizon's benefit on Saturday night at the House of Blues. Um, you're looking at ranges in, in about the $1,000 range, 1000 to $1,500 range. Um, not exactly cheap, but if you're in town and you're looking for something fun to do, you know, this is sort of a, a once-in-a-lifetime thing, um, you know, maybe worth checking out. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting how it seems like athletes want to hang out with musicians and actors and vice versa. So this is kind of the opportunity for those crowds to intersect with each other. If you're if you're a football fan um, and you want to rub shoulders with NFL athletes, uh, this is where you should be. Um you know, I like to equate this to the NFL spring break. You know, a lot of these guys who, who aren't playing in the game, they're in town, um, they're looking to have fun, and they're out and about. The season's over with, and they're looking to have a good time. And if you're if you're a fan, you will um, absolutely run into a lot of your favorite players um, who are enjoying the Super Bowl just like you are. Play out the week for us. How early in the week? Because we know there's a two-week layoff between the championship games and the Super Bowl. How early in the week of Super Bowl week leading up to Super Bowl Sunday do these parties begin? Typically, it starts to ramp up on Thursday night. Um, Thursday night, the, the, you know, the first big party will take place at the, uh, the Bud Light Hotel. Um, EA Sports does their annual Madden Bowl, and it's uh, 12 different athletes um, play against each other playing the Madden video game. This is all taking place at the Bud Light Hotel. Um, then on Friday night, it gets pretty competitive. You know, you're looking at ESPN the magazine's big Super Bowl event. This is the ninth year. Um, there will be a Rolling Stone event at Bud Light Hotel. Uh, Verizon will have their event on Friday night at the House of Blues. And uh, I believe Playboy will also be doing their party on Friday night um, over at Second Line Stages. Saturday night, um, again, pretty competitive. Are you looking at the Maxim Party, which is, um, you know, a, a pretty typical event. They've been in They've been involved with Super Bowl for about 12 or 13 years now, and then GQ Magazine will host their party over at the Elms Mansion in the uh, Garden District of New Orleans. And then really the big player for Saturday night is the DirecTV uh, Beach Bowl and their post-party and live concert. Um, uh, they, haven't really, they have not announced their talent yet. Um, it's expected to be pretty big. You know, There's some rumors on who it's going to be, but they haven't officially announced it yet. Who would they have last year? Um, last year, I believe it was uh, Fallout Boy, if I were uh, to remember correctly. Interesting. So, New Orleans, I would imagine, pretty festive backdrop for the Super Bowl, and especially for these parties next year, if I'm correct. 
the Super Bowl comes to New York. That's going to be uh, pretty interesting because it hasn't been to New York in a long time, if ever, right? Yeah, I believe this will be the first time. Um, you know, New Orleans has been has been interesting. This is the the tenth year they've hosted the Super Bowl. Um, I know that the NFL and the host committee and a lot of the owners and people involved with the league love having the Super Bowl in New Orleans. Um, it's a great backdrop for it. They've got the infrastructure, and they've got the hotels, they've got restaurants, they've got nightlife, all the things that people are looking for. Um, they've got great weather. Um, so far, it looks like the weather is going to be fantastic. Um, you know, in the next couple of weeks for us. Um, I think the one thing to notice for, or just mention for New Orleans this year is it's, it's you know, Super Bowl literally is falling right in the middle of Mardi Gras, so it's almost playing second fiddle to a, a very huge time of year for for that city. Um, it's kind of in the way, which has been kind of interesting as far as planning events go in that city. Um, New York City for Super Bowl, you know, technically the game takes place in New Jersey. So it's, you know, in my opinion, it's a, a New Jersey Super Bowl. And, you know, Super Bowl, it's a, it's a big event. It, it really can shut down most uh, major cities. I'm not sure it's big enough to, you know, upset what's going on in New York City. So it'll be interesting to see how a lot of these events and, you know, venue takeovers um, sort of coincide with day-to-day life um, in New York City as people go about their business. So before I let you go, if you're coming to the Super Bowl in New Orleans and you uh, are flush with cash and you've got uh, some time on your hands, are there what are the two or three parties that you must attend besides your party, the ESPN party? And I know that's invite um, only, so you'd have to get an invite to that. <laughs> as a matter of yeah, as a matter of fact, you would. Um, you know, off the top of my head, if you were to buy a ticket and want to check out something really cool, I'd recommend. Going to check out the uh, the Verizon Hurricane Sandy benefit at the House of Blues. Uh, you can buy a great ticket for that. Um, you know, Drew Brees is hosting it. For a long time, there were rumors that Drew Brees was not going to be in town that weekend. He is now going to be there. Um, you'll see a great performance by Nelly and Swizz Beats, um, and it's in the House of Blues. You know, House of Blues is a great venue, and it's also it's very um, it's very New Orleans. So you get a really good um, flavor of the city and their star quarterback and just a good flavor for the evening on Saturday night of Super Bowl weekend. And you could, you know, if you're staying down in the, in the French quarter, you could walk there. So you avoid taxis and traffic and it would be a really nice night. You know, what's interesting is uh Super Bowl spots are going for uh, in the neighborhood of $3.8 million for a 30 second spot to me. I mean, I, I get why some companies do that, but I would imagine you could spend a little bit less than that and put on a, a pretty terrific uh, Super Bowl party. Yes. As a matter of fact, you could. You could spend a lot less than that. Um, it's just a lot more work. There's a lot more sweat that goes into producing a Super Bowl event. You know, it takes about a year to do it. Um, you have to spend a lot of time in that city looking for a venue, you know, carving out some sort of thematic element to the venue, um, producing all the elements, uh, getting all the necessary permits, and then bringing in programming, uh, talent, DJs, uh, live performances, and then also getting a really good crowd there. So there's a lot of work that goes into it and, you know, really a lot of variables and a lot of room to fail. So it really just depends on what's important to you. You know, it's, it's pretty easy to buy a spot during the, uh, during the game. You're going to hit a lot of eyeballs. You know, impression numbers will be up there. Um, but sometimes throwing an event, if you nail it, um, that's a really good one-of-a-kind experience, and you can get some incredible impressions for that too. Well, best of luck during Super Bowl week to you. Sounds like you've put in a tremendous amount of work as you do every year for your Super Bowl parties that you work on. Nick Hines, 
executive vice president of the Engine Shop. How can people find Engine Shop online? Uh, go to engineshopagency.com, um, and you'll be able to find us. Otherwise, uh, type it into Google, and you'll find our Twitter feed, and some of the great work we've uh, done will pop up all over the place. And what's your Twitter feed? Because I know I just started following you on Twitter. Uh, at Dr. Hine, D-O-K-T-O-R-H-I-N-E-S. Excellent. Well, I will look forward to following you, and I appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Brian. Thank you. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. Then I crossed 15 million with a wave of my hand. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. This is Sports Business Radio. All right, we're back to close another edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you to E. Katarina Walter, the author of the book Think Like Zuck. Thank you to Ethan Skolnick, who covers the Miami Heat for the Palm Beach Post and is the author of a new book called Raising Your Game. Great book. Check it out. And thank you to Nick Hines from The Engine Shop for giving us a preview inside of the Super Bowl party that his company is planning in New Orleans, as well as what goes into a Super Bowl party. Thank you to our show staff today, Brian Griggs, our executive producer, Josh Blank, and Doug Zanger. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just click on the iTunes icon on the front page of sportsbusinessradio.com to have our show podcast downloaded to your iTunes every week. We'd love it if you post a review of our podcast on iTunes as well. If you want to keep up with me uh, in between shows, I'm on Twitter at SB Radio, like Sports Business Radio, at SB Radio. You can become our Facebook friend as well, uh, facebook.com backslash sportsbusinessradio.com. We'll have plenty for you post-Super Bowl. Talk the best and worst commercials, and we'll have lots coming up for you very soon on our next episode of Sports Business Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes, 
and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio.